The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Emergency department medical negligence claims amount to almost 15% of all medical claims and with hospital staffs under such monumental pressure at the moment it makes sense to investigate how these ED claims might arise. I'm joined by Janet Keane from Callan Tansy Solicitors. Good morning Janet. Good morning Pat. How typically do claims arise in the emergency departments? Well, Pat, in, certainly in recent times and from personal experience down here in Callantanzi, the uh, state of our emergency departments has led to inordinate amount of claims versus what we would have seen uh, historically. It's the number one reason for people knocking on our door at the moment, both in relation to clinical negligence causing morbidity, but also worsening conditions uh, for families and their loved ones and also worsening prognoses. So uh, typically then, how would such a case arise? If you can talk me through a patient who arrives in ED and is not happy with the way they've been treated, explain how a claim might arise. Uh, Certainly. When patients obviously present at an emergency department, they're often unable to provide clear information regarding their injury or illness. Many may be distressed or disorientated and unable to give a complete medical history. But the cause of clinical negligence arising in an A&E setting generally relates to, for example, premature discharge or a transfer or step down from an acute hospital setting, a failure to recognise an acute condition, for example, appendicitis, meningitis or an evolving stroke, for a failure to adequately note or record or review a patient's pertinent medical history, and in particular, a failure to access timely investigative imaging such as MRIs, CTs, ultrasounds. And laterally, what we've been seeing also is the discharging of a patient without the appropriate referral or safety netting advice regarding their health in the event of potential deterioration. Because the last thing a patient wants to do, having spent perhaps an inordinate amount of time in an A&E setting and when eventually treated, is to reattend if the need arises So without that adequate safety netting from the clinicians treating them, they may avoid uh, that experience at a later date when it is necessary. Um, You'd imagine that that kind of information would be very routine uh, as someone is being discharged. uh, All the precautions they should take, any uh, regime they should follow uh, would be given to them. And it's surprising that it's not. But uh, these things happen. And I'm acutely aware uh, that they happen routinely in uh, emergency departments. Now, uh, in terms of failing to recognise an acute condition... Uh, like appendicitis, uh, meningitis, and there are various tests that you can use. We're always talking about the glass tumbler test in the case of a rash for meningitis, uh, acute pain in the in terms of appendicitis, uh, a stroke that's evolving. All of those things you can perhaps they're fuzzy, perhaps they're not as evident as we'd all like to think they are, and that clinicians. Uh, can literally make a mistake or not have sufficient information to make a diagnosis. But that doesn't mean they should be sued. It certainly doesn't mean they should be sued. And every adverse event has to be viewed on a case-by-case basis with specific focus on the facts of the individual presentations. We fully appreciate that. However, we can only relay 
what we see on a day, and, a, and I mean literally a day-to-day basis at the moment, Pat, in particular here in Limerick in the Midwest uh, from the clients who are attending in my office. Um, the What we say is if you bring this back to basics, we refer to adequate triaging, adequate ambulance arrival times, of course, bed capacity, because overcrowding and delay are inextricably linked to adverse events. This has been proven by report after report, in particular by the UK Royal College of Emergency Medicine recently, and also in relation to the Irish uh, counterpart of that. The UK Royal College of Emergency Medicine in 2021 said that overcrowding and delay in A&E caused 4,519 excess deaths. According and adjusting those figures to reflect the population of Ireland, 316 people a year could be dying in this country because of overcrowding and delay. So the basics that need to be adopted by hospitals are adequate triaging, adequate access, to imaging, MRI. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to go through, to through some of those um, items with you because there, there'll be mm-hmm. people saying, well, I should have got an MRI, I should have got a CT scan. But it turns out that the particular medical facility didn't have an availability of, uh, um, say, a CT scan for somebody at a particular hour of the night. I mean, you can't suddenly rustle up uh, a machine or indeed the personnel to work the machine at four o'clock in the morning. I suppose, therefore, what, what, bringing it back to what we said in relation to the triaging of patients and uh, onward referral, if it is an acute condition, acute conditions do need emergency intervention. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, that does um impact on the statutory duty on hospitals to provide the appropriate imaging and investigations mm-hmm. that need to uh, happen. This, again, is a resource issue, Pat, and it goes back to the nature of the funding, how that funding is funneled through the departments and how it is allocated in relation to the resources of A&E. And that's a, that's a management issue, mm-hmm. and it's an ongoing generational issue at this stage in relation to our accidents and emergency In terms of uh, premature discharges, I mean, a clinician may make a clinical decision. If I keep this person in this acute hospital where they'll get, you know, the best ICU that's possibly available if I can get them admitted, number one, or I can take a chance and put them into a a step-down bed that at least is safe, at least it's a bed, it's not a trolley, you know, it's in a room, not in a corridor. But if they have some complication, we might have to rush them back in. I mean, it might be the better clinical decision to get them out of a place that's, you know, overcrowded and riddled with COVID. Quite quite possibly. But again, it has to be on the basis of a complete evaluation of the patient's needs, looking back at their patient history, any pertinent uh, illnesses or comorbidities that they may have, and uh, the risk assessment in terms of a condition worsening and the time within that condition may worsen. And if there is then time to transfer them back from a step-down facility or a non-acute hospital to the acute hospital that they were already in. So if there is such a thing as a typical case, I mean, what might people take legal action for? Would it be a stroke that wasn't treated soon enough and therefore that people are left with lifelong damage that might have been averted? Is that the kind of thing we're talking about? 
Absolutely. Um, typically, the cases that we used to see were in relation to acute events such as an evolving stroke. And like you say, such timely intervention is absolutely critical in relation to that. Um, while the, the issue of meningitis, let's say, thankfully, uh, has been on the wane, nonetheless, bacterial meningitis does require absolute critical early intervention. As we can see, it can have absolutely grave effects if it is not treated. And obviously, a lot of these illnesses, unless they are investigated properly by the clinicians after initial triage, their symptoms can mimic perhaps non-acute events. Yeah. We are aware of that. We're also aware of the extreme stress and the um, working conditions within which the nurses and doctors are working within. But it is only after a complete and thorough evaluation and the time being afforded to the doctor and the patient to complete that evaluation can those decisions actually be made and be made with a degree of certainty. Now, if, uh, you know, things were relatively calm in an emergency department and some misadventure befalls one of your uh, clients, um, that's one thing. And, you know, you take legal action and you demonstrate that they could have done better. But if someone comes in with a a particular problem uh, that occurred as a result of attendance and ED at a time such as at this moment with the triple-demic going and doctors and nurses put to the pins of their collars, is it likely a judge will say, hang on a second, this is like a war. What do you expect in wartime? They did the best they could. Case dismissed. Not speaking on the part of the judiciary, of course, Pat, but uh, it's not often a defence that I believe would be accepted by a judge. As I say, there is a statutory duty on hospitals to provide this level of care to patients. And just obviously to state the abundantly obvious, but when a person presents to A&E, they are in the most need of care. They, 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 both they and their loved ones, as I say, they're often unable to communicate what exactly has even happened to them. Uh, they're in the most vulnerable position. So for a hospital to potentially use the defence that they are stretched to capacity, I don't believe is an adequate one and it ought not to be one that is accepted. Uh, finally, you know, there'll be people listening and they'll say, that, you know, com- com- uh, practices like yours are, and if you'll pardon the dreadful pun, are ambulance chasers. It's not, it's not an argument uh, we accept, Pat. We see people as a time of most need. And I can tell you the number one reason that people present to us is not for some cash bonanza or that they're being in any way opportunistic, is because they are completely and utterly in the dark. Something has befell them or or their loved one and they don't know why. It is a closed door in relation to getting any answers from a hospital or indeed individual clinicians. So it is not an argument we accept and if you were to speak or people who are, 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 are of that mind would speak to the clients who I meet on a daily basis, I believe their mind would soon be turned. Uh, the, the problem might be, though, as soon as you go after them for information, whether through a, a, a litigation process or simply as an honest citizen, they will tend to circle the wagons. Absolutely. Um, sometimes on a local level, even last week I was speaking with a client who relayed their concerns in relation to their 
the treatment they received, it, albeit not in an A&E department, in a hospital setting, they were invited in. Um, and a, an open and frank conversation ensued and certain concessions were made. However, it is my full and frank belief that when if a case was to ensue on the basis of independent expert evidence, that that certainly will not be a case. The shutters may well come down and it is often our experience then that the fight ensues and it is sometimes not one led by the plaintiff in relation to information gathering, but rather by the hospital setting. Janet Keane from Callan Tansy Solicitors, thank you very much for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Pat. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.